1: Of Nico Kennedy. Now, if you missed it, she's been on before and talked a great deal about uh, jaundice and melatonin and all of the good stuff during pregnancy. And just want a brief introduction, Nico. How are you doing, by the way? <laughs> Thank you. you I'm here?
0: doing really well. It's a nice rainy fall day out here in Oregon, and um, <laughs> yeah, feeling really good. <laughs> That's awesome. Do you get a lot of rain out there? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, of course. It's definitely a temperate rainforest.
1: (laughs) Gotcha. All right. So, if you're not familiar with who Nico is, she is a perinatal quantum biology practitioner, and she is doing some amazing work to connect quantum biology, and its important importance for mother and baby. So, we're excited to have you back today, and you want to jump
0: right in? Sure. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, So, Nicole. And I decided we are going to kind of do things chronologically and talk about circadian and quantum biology in preconception and then through the trimesters of pregnancy and postpartum. So it ends up being five sections. So we're going to kind of give a quick like overview of each thing. So we'll do preconception first trimester, second trimester, third and then fourth and talk about some of the specific quantum biology things that will affect that process. Awesome. I'm excited.
1: <laughs> I wish <laughs> I knew this information before, you know, having babies, but at least we get to, you know, pass it mm-hmm. on and, you know, for the future generation. So let's first start, let's talk about
0: uh, the detoxing, the prep for pregnancy. Yeah. So. Okay. So in pregnancy prep, this is something that is going Affected by the hormone levels and so that's kind of one of the first things that we think about when it comes to getting ready for pregnant is making sure there's a good baseline of all of the hormones um and something that I think is not as often talked about is how a man can prepare for um for the you know making the baby and um so we hear a lot about infertility and that is you know female infertility as well as male infertility. And a lot of cases of both are related to oxidative stress. So oxidative stress and redox are, uh, you know, really big topics in the quantum biology community, because this is where we're looking at uh, the flow of protons and electrons. So just to kind of back up for anyone who just kind of wants a quick overview of what we're talking about with quantum, we're talking about Uh, Subatomic particles, which are, you know, basically protons and electrons, and it can sound kind of reductionist to look at just (laughs) what are these tiny little things doing, but it's the base of everything and it ends up moving uh, through from these like particles into molecules into cell tissues into cells, cells turn into organs, organs turn into organ systems and the organ systems make up the body. And then all of the bodies together make up the community. And so that's, to me, like the scope of quantum biology is we're going from, you know, what's the small all the way up to how does this affect people at the community level and, um, you know, quantum entanglement and all of that, which we probably won't get into today. But this is (laughs) another day. (laughs) Yeah, the, the physics, like what is the physics? And so we talk a lot about environment and so with environment we'll want to know like what are the environmental factors that can affect um, male and female fertility and this is where i think that we can offer some kind of newer information to the fertility and infertility dialogue going on and there are many many resources that people can look at in terms of like diet and exercise and sleep and all the usual things that we think of like you know you want if you're a heavy drinker you're going to want to quit drinking so heavily you're going to you know if you're using drugs you definitely want to get off of those drugs (laughs) Um, if you're on you know pharmaceuticals you're going to want to talk with your you know provider about are these pharmaceuticals safe and and all of that like there's some really basic foundational steps but some of the things that I'd like to share um, will maybe be a little bit newer and that will be like the environment. What does the environment look like and how is that contributing, um, to a person's health? So, uh, the concept of redox, yeah, is what we're really going to be talking about in this part of. mm -hmm.
1: And that's great because, well, first of all, you know, thanks for bringing, you know, males into this into this equation, too, because it's not talked about at all. And, you know, obviously, when you the simple term of it, you know, it takes two to tango, like, yeah, it it, it literally does, you know, so we're trying to have both couples go into a situation to create life and do it in the most healthful way, you know, possible. So continue. Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Okay. All right. So we're going to be looking at redox and redox is the ability of a cell to do work Uh, and that is going to what we're talking about is going to look at it from an electrical standpoint and so there are a lot of there's a lot of redox chemistry and so when you're looking from a chemical perspective you're looking at like um usually like oh minus and h plus and um from this perspective, we're just looking at positive and negative charge. And there are so many papers you could look at. Um, one I was just reading recently was a review about idiopathic male infertility, which is like when they can't figure it out. Like there's not a specific cause that they can look at. And so these authors were speculating that up to 80% of those cases were related to oxidative stress. Wow. So that's potentially affecting a huge amount of people. And then if you look at female infertility, we also are seeing oxidative stress as being a major contributing factor to what can make the environment within the sperm or the ovaries um, incompatible with maturing. And so with female, we know we have this like one month cycle of the eggs maturing. Um, And so with males, it is actually a longer cycle. It's more like six, over 60 days um, to make a sperm all the way through all of the steps. And that's not something that people always are thinking about. Like you said, that a lot of people don't think about the male infertility, or if they do, then they're talking about like, low sperm, how does that happen? Um, And so the hormone aspects are really tied in with circadian rhythm, but this redox aspect is really tied in with the environment and the quantum the quantum biology going on there. And if we're looking at positive and negative charges, oxidative stress is a way of saying too much positive charge. So in a chemical sense, we would be saying that's overly acidic. Um, so there was like a trend a while ago of like the alkaline diet, and that was like yeah, going sure. through a nutritional approach to try to balance. Um, and then that's also loading up on antioxidants, right? If you hear like oxidative stress, antioxidant are what balances that. And so there's so much information about how to do this with nutrition. However, uh, when it comes to reproductive biology, the results are really mixed. And part of that is because uh, the oxidative stress, the force that the body uses, is actually using that to do the remodeling process. If you think about how does a cell turn into a sperm or how does the, um, the immature you know, the eggs in the female ovaries, they're immature. And then one or two will, you know, mature each month. How does that happen? How does it transform from its like latent state into being the state that it will be at the time of conception? That is happening through um, changes. And the oxidative force is what the changes are. So you want some. And that's where just loading up on dietary antioxidants can be um, even detrimental to some of these processes because we don't want to any- new to make an overly alkaline environment and it needs to be somewhat acidic. However, it can't be too much. And that's where quantile biology perspective is so amazing because through the fascia and collagen, we can deliver either positive charges or negative charges wherever they're needed. So the body can decide if it's pulling in that negative electron charge or that positive proton charge. So it's just absolutely the the answer to this situation where we need these this redox this uh, ability to do work to be completely balanced and it can't be too much in either direction or else the process won't happen so how do you balance redox from the quantum perspective then in that case we're looking at um, lots of infrared light exposure preferably from the sun in the early morning and in the evening Uh, that should be familiar to folks and then we're going to be looking at earthing Uh, We're going to be looking at piezoelectricity from movement, um, massage, um, you know, warm baths, and then um, what else? I mean, just feeling good, like sound harmonics, singing. You know, you don't think like, oh, you know, I'm going to use my voice to improve my fertility. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but through right but through yeah. the mitochondrial health and through the collagen network, it is responsive to sound. So having harmonious, beautiful sounds around can absolutely contribute to the entire network being more energized in this way.
1: Uh, yeah i mean the the idea of sound is like okay would you rather be in a forest full of birds singing or would you rather be next to a construction site so it's like when you think about the two ends of the spectrum it's like yeah i think i'll lend myself to the other side and that the you know the positive benefit that it has to the body absolutely yeah and it's so inter- it's so cool to hear this this perspective because the time and time again i think we're just reminded of the the, the simplicity and the pure benefit of circadian biology. Like it's just incredible. So keep going. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It is. It is so incredible. I absolutely love it. And it can be really uh, kind of like a hedonic experience. You know, it can be really pleasurable to live the circadian lifestyle. Once you lose all of the, like the grasping and clinging to things like late movie night, going clubbing, um, you know, like, international travel, right? Like jet lag is a huge thing. And I uh, have spoken yeah. with moms who are like, I am so sick. and like, Oh, what, well, you know, what are you up to? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I live in the States, but I just flew over to Germany for a couple weeks and then now I'm back, but I still just feel terrible. And, and I'm uh, like, well, ow, that hurts. And you know, what can we do? Okay. Let's get your circadian rhythm back locked down. Let's get you synced up to your local environment. Like That, you know, being on the plane, for one thing, has a lot of EMFs, And so we're talking about having perfect electrical charge for fertility. And so the perfect electrical charge is then going to be challenged by this man-made electricity. And, um, you know, over on my publication, I have some pictures where you can look at, if you aren't familiar with this idea, you can just look at what do you what do these man-made wavelengths look like? And so with that, you can kind of see what the difference are and then get this kind of sense about how, how they could be disrupting to our natural electric forces. Okay, so I think that we were at um, preconception, right? And so then we think about um, conception happening, the timing of all of that happening. And that is going to be largely driven by circadian timing of hormones. Um, so if we have redox in like a good, healthy state so that everything is energetically right in the right balance of acid and base, then circadian rhythm is going to nourish the hormones and get them going. So for males, that's going to be, you know, women actually have really a lot of testosterone as well. Um, and I just recently learned this, that the, when they test women's uh, testosterone, they actually use a different scale than testing men's. So they'll say like, "Oh, women have you know," and they have this low number, but they're actually using a completely different scale than male testosterone. So it's not as different. It's super weird, <laughs> but I guess it makes it less confusing when you're looking at like the effects of estrogen and yeah. um, progesterone and all of that. So you know, I guess I can kind of get it. But when I learned that, I was like, "What?" <laughs> I yeah, need to right. Look at this a little bit more. <laughs> Yeah, um, right. (laughs) So ovulation is um, actually something that should be like triggered by hormones that happen at a specific time of day, and that's something that I never had heard before when I was like learning about my cycle. I read all the natural family planning books and um, learned how to like tell if I was fertile or not and like what the different signs of the different hormonal states are and like tracking and basal body temperature. And in none of those books did it say, the ovulation process is triggered by a surge of hormones at the end of the resting period, coordinated through the suprachiasmatic nucleus in the brain, um, which is triggered by light. And so it should be a surge of hormones that actually happens in the morning because we're sleeping through the night. The end of the resting period is the morning. We wake up, we go outside, have that early morning sunlight, and that early morning sunlight triggers a huge surge of hormones that is going to be what then triggers the ovulation process. So
1: it's, yep, yeah, time and time <laughs> again. It's like, you know, if, if, but, but here's the thing. Like, if we knew that, like, if it was taught, I, I feel like, I feel like making a baby, it has so much more intention because it yeah. has the intention of I'm going to care so much about myself. Not that people aren't, you know, because I know many people that are, you know, eating well and doing all that stuff, but no one is having that conversation of light and connecting to the earth. You know, that those daily rhythms that aren't arbitrarily here, I can't say that word, but you know, they're not, it just doesn't happen by chance, you know? Mm-hmm. So if we're connecting back to that, we are a part of it. So continue. <laughs> it's just okay. blowing my mind. That's all.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I think that the circadian and quantum is the missing chapter in most, um, most books about uh, anything wellness related, whatsoever, pretty much. For I mean, sure. if you look at, you know, pretty much anything, then you can find research yeah. about how the circadian rhythm ties into it. And then you can find out how oxidative stress ties into it. So, I mean, for anyone who is that, like, do your own research kind of person, I'm like, okay, Absolutely. what issue are you looking at? Yeah. Are you looking at, um, you know, endometriosis? Are you looking at, like, Ovarian syndrome? Are you looking at, um, you know, Secondary infertility, are you looking? You know, what are you looking at? Any of those things, and then search oxidative stress or search circadian rhythm or search circadian disruption. And, you know, the stuff will come up. I, you know, you're not going to find much if you search quantum biology plus (laughs) your thing because it's still kind of new. And, yeah, yeah. Um, Although maybe now this podcast will come up if people search for it. (laughs) Hopefully. That's it. Yeah. (laughs) I like it. So, um, okay. So let's say that we have healthy redox and healthy sperm, healthy egg, and they have met, we have, you know, due to healthy hormones that have facilitated this process, then now we have... um, the the meeting and then at that point it needs to it's you know inside of the woman's body so here it's really a lot to do with her although there are things so there are you know the the father is entangled quantumly to this process um but right now I'm kind of just going to turn it over to the female side of things since it's happening inside of her yeah um and so implantation. Now here we are going to go back to our oxidative force. Implantation is going to be facilitated. It's um, it's basically like an open wound inside of the uterus. And you hear about like the implantation, it's tunneling. You've heard of implantation bleeding and all of that, like it's breaking through the body to find its little home. And so part of the way the body will... Um, facilitate that happening and prevent an infection from forming there because, you know, there's all kinds of, you know, bacteria and everything in this um, inside of us. It's, it's uh, in our makeup. Will... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. It's supposed to be there, however, to protect right. this site. They're using oxidative force, which we could also call like acidity. You know that the vagina is a, a an acidic environment. And right. so that is protecting it. And so that's, again, where it's not, even though antioxidants are really important, loading up on the dietary antioxidants would not be the thing that we want to do here. But instead, we want to nurture the collagen network to deliver the positive or negative charge because it also can't be too acidic because that would kill um, right. the the forming, yeah. you know, thing. Um, so that is um, where we're going to bounce back now to the circadian powerful endogenous um and the we have is melatonin and melatonin is a circadian hormone and melatonin um also comes from our cells and that's where that sunlight um okay
1: so you were speaking about melatonin
0: yeah that's right so melatonin is going to facilitate the implantation process it is um chemically super involved in getting that fertilized egg into the next stage. And so the melatonin is going to scavenge the excess free radicals and protect that, this really sensitive time where, um, you know, things have to be just right. And so this is where circadian rhythm and that solar exposure really come into making this process happen smoothly. And I, also wanted to share here that melatonin and um, is like a messenger of darkness, but it is also uh, related to the amount of infrared light and the health of our mitochondria. So hopefully through the quantum biology stuff that we did in preconception of being, you know, very grounded in nature and in tune with the season around us um to have redox potential well that we also have synced our hormones and that by getting that morning sunlight we have been absorbing a lot of the infrared to make cellular melatonin be high all all day long and then also then the pineal melatonin is what will surge at night makes that makes complete sense yeah yeah um and I think that there are kind of like three ways that light environments or like light exposure can be disrupted in uh, the modern world. So I think this is also a nice time to talk about how um, we like you've heard of like blue light toxicity and that's when someone is, you know, getting too much of that artificial light. And so that can damage mitochondria and affect our cellular health and suppress our melatonin. So that is also related to like insufficiency of darkness. So, uh, you know, having that super dark night where we don't turn on the lights at all, um, nothing like brighter than a candle flame is what will allow us to continue having that that nighttime melatonin. So there's like darkness insufficiency, the overload of blue light. But then I think there's also a sunlight deficiency Element And part of the reason that blue light is so detrimental to us is not just the stimulating effect of um, on our circadian rhythms, or I shouldn't say blue light, but like blue light enriched light bulbs, is that they're lacking the infrared light. So they don't have the red spectrum and they don't have the heat and the warmth. And that heat and warmth is what is nourishing to our mitochondria and what stimulate our collagen to grow and what build the easy water um, along the cell membranes. And so there are are the three, there's uh, insufficient darkness, insufficient sunlight, and then overload of the blue frequencies. So those are all the things that we would want to be like controlling for in our lifestyle and in our environment
1: yeah and I think that's a it's a great place to add then too is like not enough sunlight. So if I'm living an indoor lifestyle and we know you know that windows block certain amounts of the rays from the sun, then it's only allowing like a, a predominantly blue light environment inside. So mm-hmm. you know what we know about circadian lifestyle is the sun is always balanced and so anytime we have that un you know unnatural balance, we need to find ourselves outside again. So mm-hmm. all right, yeah, so continue. yes
0: okay. Super. Okay. So now let's say that uh, the embryo is like happily implanted in the uterus and the uterine lining is all well. And that is the uterine lining aspect is going to take uh, another balance of hormones. And so we've continued to catch the morning sunlight and sleep um, through the darkness of night because that is nurturing our hormonal health and making sure that all the hormones are in place so that the lining is nice and thick. And then the next thing that happens is um, placental development. So at first, the baby does not have its own placenta. It is, um, you know, getting nourished entirely by the uterine lining. And um, there's other like little forms of like the names of the pre-placenta that we probably don't need to talk yeah. about here. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're just like looking at this this process that all of these steps are really needing that melatonin um. Because the placenta, once it is formed, is going to be creating melatonin itself. And it will be giving melatonin to the baby, but also giving extra melatonin to the mother. And so this first trimester window is really, really important for the mom's circadian rhythm to be healthy and to have, for her to have really high melatonin levels because there is not the placental melatonin yet. And the placenta needs to develop properly. So there are so many um, adverse pregnancy outcomes that happen in this very early pregnancy stage that don't manifest until later on in the pregnancy, but they started here in the beginning. And so even in the first couple of weeks, like a lot of times, like if something goes wrong, the body will just abort. It'll abort mission and just start all over. Like early miscarriage is really common because if anything goes wrong, it's going to move out into the entire system. So there are like other uh, birth defects will start will happen later on in the pregnancy because the the baby's already formed enough that it's going to be viable and survive even if it you know doesn't have you know like if you look at like limb deformities or like cognitive um, issues, all these kinds of things where babies are born usually those things happen later on, not in this very early phase because the early phase is so crucial that everything happens perfectly. Gotcha. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, So once the placenta is developed, then it starts secreting melatonin. And so mothers have really high circulating melatonin during pregnancy and it will rise and rise and rise across the course of the pregnancy. Um, and first trimester, um, we were talking about making the sleep happen or the melatonin happen. So part of that's by having really good sleep. So sleep interruptions in the first trimester, um, if the if a mom has that, she's much more likely to have challenges later on in her pregnancy, which is opposite as we get to um, through early pregnancy into late pregnancy, the more uncomfortable and large and cumbersome the mother gets, yeah. the more sleep disruption she's going to have. And that's actually physiological because it prevents the like blood from getting pooled up and making any kinks, and which can be detrimental to the baby. And so again, when we get to late pregnancy, we see the opposite, where if a mom is not having sleep disruptions, then there's a higher likelihood of stillbirth and other Um, adverse like mood disorders and things for the mom, if not harm for the baby. So it's normal for sleep to be disrupted in pregnancy. And since that's normal, it's really important to keep this environment protected from the artificial light. Because if the mom is waking up, tossing and turning, going pee, but the light environment is dim enough that she continues having that pineal melatonin circulation, then it's not going to have an adverse effect on her pregnancy Um, Whereas if she's awake and then flips on those like bright fluorescent or LED lights, lights, then that tanks her melatonin for several hours, just turning the lights on for a second. And so having not enough melatonin is related to pretty much every adverse pregnancy outcome there is and is partially through uh, the oxidative stress pathway that we were talking about. Because if you think about how the baby, like it starts and it, You know, it looks really weird if you look at the early, what it looks like, you know, and it like it grows a tail and then it shrinks (laughs) back in, right? And so all of that remodeling is um, facilitated by oxidative force, right? And so we talk about that. We need the proton positive charge as well as the neutron, as well as the electron negative charge. We need both of those charges. Yeah. So at all times, collagen is hugely important to pregnancy, and so if you look at like um, nutrition, like some of the like higher like the high level nutritional thinking around pregnancy, then we're looking at having all of those amino acids and the things especially that support collagen uh, going on in pregnancy. And so in that conversation, I'd love to insert, hey, getting infrared sunlight uh, stimulates collagen growth. So if we're going to be like eating all of this extra glycine and collagen powder and bone broth soups and all these things, like we also ought to be going out to get sunshine because that will, uh, facilitate that. So yes, Mm -hmm.
1: yes. Great. That's great correlation there. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I think sometimes we just focus so much on the nutrition piece and you forget that the, you know, the, the sun piece is what helps to kind of start the whole cascade of events to begin with. So great, great advice there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and looking at the uh, nutrition piece, um, I think second trimester is probably like the time that people really are able to most focus on it. A lot of times in the first trimester, there's a lot of queasiness going on, which is yeah. actually related to the oxidative stress. And there, we have so much oxidative stress from like not getting enough sunlight, not moving our bodies enough, having environmental toxins, um, maybe having underlying chronic health conditions, all those things can, can make more of that. So then when our body ramps up the oxidative force inside of the uterus, then it can make the whole body feel kind of sick. And so that's where having the quantum biology pieces can really help reduce that morning sickness and allow better nutrition earlier on in the pregnancy. Um and then when it comes to that nutrition here's another missing piece that's in the that should be in the conversation is when are we eating foods and are they local and in season because that if we are eating local in season foods at the right time of day then our body has a much easier time assimilating that and indigestion is such a common complaint in pregnancy whether we're looking at Um, you know, morning sickness or flatulence or like all of the like
1: (laughs) all the fun things about being yeah all
0: the fun things yeah without getting super gross here right be a huge (laughs) Um, it's a fun time yeah (laughs) so having the circadian digestion going on um like our gut microbiome changes across the course of a day so we have actually a different um you know and it's wild to think about all of these changes that are going on, but the populations of the gut of the microbiomes in our guts are actually changing, have different things in the daytime than in the nighttime. So like you're more likely to get food poisoning if you're eating after dark than you are, if you're eating in the day, even if it's the same, uh, contaminated food.
1: Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. But now I do.
0: After dark eating is risky business.
1: (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah.
0: Wow. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't go out to eat much though. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> good.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. those things.
1: <laughs> it's, but now I know this. So, uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. lunch yeah, it especially,
0: <laughs> yeah, especially after dark. Um, yeah, especially after dark. And then you also have the, like, you know, the lights and, and everything right. and can, can disrupt things. So disrupt, it yeah, is really sure. important. Yeah. And I mean, as far as nutritional, like if I were to give like meal timing advice to pregnant women, it's eat a large breakfast because that's when the digestive system is primed and ready. And you can really get the most out of your meal if you eat it first thing in the morning. And it can set you up to have more stable blood sugar across the rest of the day and just really maximize that window. And then the farther to the pole, like a latitude right the right. more towards the poles the more true that becomes because daylight can really become scarce in the winter time sure and so we really are looking at that like you know first thing in the morning you need to be up and eating be out yeah yeah that makes um makes sense. okay yeah we are whipping through this so let's say that we are now um, you know, have been growing this baby. It has a really healthy placenta and the placenta is surging that melatonin throughout the body. Um, we're getting all of the nutrition we need. We're eating that really big breakfast so that the, you know, that's a, helps and train the circadian rhythm and also helps make sure that all the nutrients are available. Um, we're taking lots of walks and doing all of our practices to make our mitochondria healthy, our mitochondria are making lots of energy. So we have plenty of energy for growing the baby as well as taking care of our own bodies. Um, and so now we're getting towards the end of pregnancy and do starting you, do to think you about find... labor. <laughs> oh, yeah. One question
1: first. <laughs> Mm -hmm. it's very exciting no yeah (laughs) um do you find during this time like exposing a pregnant belly to light like without any clothing on or anything like that is Mm. is 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 there research to i'm sure there is research at this point about the positive benefits of direct sunlight onto the onto the belly
0: okay um there is indirect research about that. Gotcha. Okay. So I'm yeah. going to uh, point you in two directions here for this. That's a really great question. And I was actually on a uh, live call with Dr. Jack Cruz, and he said that he actually looked at how tan a woman's belly is as an indicator of her fertility. Ooh. So the reason for that, and I'm sure that he could go a lot further than I can with this, but what I've been able to look at is that melanin, um, is going to have uh, it has the ability to split and reform the water molecule and get, and, and do a, and pull electrons for work out of that process. So chlorophyll, which we think of as plants like chlorophylls a perfect um, quantum energy gathering uh, system, it can only do the water molecule one direction. So it can split it and get the energy out, but it can't reform it and do it over and over again like melanin can. So melanin can is potentially um, a lot more efficient at converting sunlight into energy. So this is kind of newer research and it basically can upend our entire idea of the food chain. If you think about light energy, not only coming from plants up the food chain, but if you think about... All animals have melanin and they're therefore also able to harness energy directly from the sunlight. In that case, we are looking at our nutrition as providing bulk matter, but we are looking at the sun for providing the energy that turns that bulk matter into life. I love that. Super (laughs) interesting. It's so
1: cool. I know. It's so cool. It's like time and time again, you know, I'm like, we were born naked. We should still be naked. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> okay. So then there's another piece there, which is the amniotic fluid itself can absorb and reflect infrared sunlight. And so we know that if we're putting the pregnant belly out in the sun and it's absorbing that sunlight, that the amniotic fluid is actually taking that light and moving it all throughout the body. So if you um all like all around the baby, so it's not just getting sunlight where you're shining it, but the amniotic fluid is also moving it because light is nonlinear all around it. So uh, that's one of the other things that's really amazing about this is that I think that we kind of have this idea that it's like dark inside of our bodies, or at least I did. I kind of imagined that it's dark inside, Um, but it's actually not. Our body is actually harnessing light and then uh, putting light and photons out inside of us. So...
1: I love that. It, really I love cool. that thinking though. Like, cause it's like, you're thinking, you know, it's like, the, you know, I always try to you know, bring into the conversation. It's just, it's love and light. And so like, mm-hmm. it. oh my gosh, that just, I think I like that thought that I have in my head now. Like that's, that's so cool. Like it's yeah. like moving around the body. Like, oh, mm-hmm. all right, continue. Yeah,
0: it is. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So, um, getting that tan and getting, um, which is, and so like the melanin is stimulated by UV light, UVA. Um, light and UVB um, will stimulate. And so the the melanin will build from that, which then increases the energy that a woman has for her pregnancy, um, the available electrons by getting that tan. And so, you know, whenever we talk about solar exposure, like we have to kind of speak to the idea that the sun is dangerous. Oh, and right. so there we're going to then be looking at safe solar exposure. We're not talking of about course. going out and sunburning. Right. And it's not so much the sunburn that's the issue, but the acute issues. We're not talking about going out and getting super dehydrated um, or like getting heat fatigue or heat stress or any of that. We're talking about the like hedonic sun exposure that feels good. So getting that morning sunlight and then, yeah, some of the UV in the afternoon uh, and then more infrared again at night. Then that's really great. And so that's super nourishing. And so indirectly, we know that that increases the energy potential and balances redox and that balanced redox and high um, redox potential is really good for pregnancy. So like I said, it's kind of indirect. And there are some studies about sun exposure and pregnancy that are good, but I don't think that they are as good as they could be. And that once this information comes um, more and more, then people will start making better studies and looking at factors in from this quantum perspective. And I think a lot more will be discovered about it.
1: That's awesome. So, I mean, it's definitely a starting point, you know, like, yeah, we're, we're, we're here for it. So that's awesome. Yeah. Okay.
0: So now we can start thinking about labor. That's the like exciting thing that <laughs> is that, you know, the end of pregnancy. Well, yeah,
1: <laughs> I'm joking. I'm I just... love,
0: I love, uh, I love giving birth and, yes. um, yeah, yeah, I always, always look forward yeah. to it.
1: <laughs> I like I like I liked I you know I love pregnancy, you know, I always had great pregnancies and stuff, so
0: yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I either you do or you don't, you know. So yeah, it's a, mm-hmm. I think it's a mindset thing often.
0: Yeah, yeah, so. it is. And um looking at that from that mindset perspective, that's another thing that's really interesting about um epidural use is that. Um, Like they did this big uh, survey of women who were um, either having an epidural or declining the epidural. And they did not have a difference in their perceived level of pain. What they did have was a difference in their perceived level of fear. Oh, that's interesting. That fear piece. Yeah, the fear piece is huge. And so when we we talk about like some people talk about the dynamic of love versus fear and we think of oxytocin as the love hormone and oxytocin is what facilitates the um, the process of birth and oxytocin is also regulated by the circadian rhythm, um, but it also has its own rhythm, of course, based on like, you know, you can feel lovey and cuddly and, and all of that at any time of day. It's not like you only feel that at night or something like pineal melatonin. We only see after a certain number of hours in darkness. Oxytocin isn't that way. However, there are, um, you know, regulatory feedback loops that are connected to the circadian rhythm. And so it makes sense that if the circadian rhythm is disrupted, then that we are going to see challenges in The labor process. And that's particularly true because melatonin is what will prepare the uterine muscle to be receptive to oxytocin to form the contractions. So melatonin is one of the things that is going to coordinate when labor starts. And in populations where healthy circadian rhythms are normal, it is normal for uh, birth to start in the night or early morning when those melatonin peaks are happening. Birth can happen at any time of day, of course. It takes a different amount of time for all of that to unfold. However, we're talking about when do contractions start and like when does labor earnestly begin. And so cool. So the yeah, the circadian rhythm is really cool for its timing of these hormones and the processes, and also that melatonin and oxytocin both have like emotional and pain regulating um, powers. And so when women have higher circulating melatonin, they do actually report less perceived pain. Interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. And you think about what kind of environment a woman likes, usually she will instinctually go to a safe, warm, dark space. Quiet. Yeah. Quiet. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Which are the same things, the same kind of environment you would go if you were going to go to sleep.
1: Isn't that an interesting correlate? So great. So great. Like, I feel like if I were to be pregnant again, I'd probably just say, all right, drop me off in the middle of a forest and see me and see me. In. Although probably not. I mean, there would be a lot, you know, that wouldn't be like, that's romanticized. But at the same time, like, mm-hmm. like, think about, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, gosh, I wish I would have done yeah. these things. I'm so glad oh. you're saying these things.
0: Yeah, I know. We can help our daughters. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah that's so so interesting yeah and it's so so interesting that like all of these like the the main like thing that you keep coming back to is melatonin like Mm. it's it it can't be ignored and you know i i think we hear too like if your body makes it we probably shouldn't supplement with it um Mm -hmm. because you can because you can you know
0: influence the production of melatonin it's so cool yeah Yeah, it is. Uh, Melatonin is being explored as a treatment for Uh, preeclampsia. Preeclampsia is like one of the really terrible things that can happen right at the end Mm -hmm. of an otherwise seeming healthy pregnancy. And then suddenly it's like, boom, sudden onset of, you know, swelling, high blood pressure. Um, They used to call it toxemia. Right. And they were never able to find what is the toxin that causes this but it seems like a toxic reaction so that's why it was called toxemia um and then they changed the name to preeclampsia um which relate in and that's um like the language there is that preeclampsia refers to like the sudden onset and so okay. in the past it was the idea of like the toxicity is what we're looking at and now we're looking at like the suddenness and this ties back to the first trimester where the placenta is being formed and the placenta has to be formed, um, correctly. Otherwise it can be like slow and not working properly and not having all that melatonin production. And then like low melatonin is highly correlated with preeclampsia and melatonin is actually the first thing that they found in 50 years of research that can actually improve outcomes for mothers and babies and prolong pregnancy when this sudden onset of these horrible symptoms comes. So they had been approaching it from the blood, sugar, blood pressure angle for 50 years and getting nowhere. There were no advances in treatment. And then we discovered melatonin. And now it's like, wow, this actually works and actually like protects the baby and makes it so that we don't have to just like, induce labor and have the baby be born right, right away, lest the mother and or baby die. You know, it's a really serious complication. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we do. There is so much research about melatonin. And yeah, it's it's really hopeful because we can make it ourselves. Like you said, it's like we don't have to go anywhere to get it.
1: Um, I mean, yeah. And you have a great in like it. it, It's like that personal responsibility thing too. you know, if I know it, then I can do better. And now I can do something about it. And because I'm not only affecting myself, I'm affecting, you know, my baby, my child. So yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So on my website, I have a protocol um, that has a list of like everything that I have found that relates to the circadian rhythm and pregnancy. That's a free download that anyone who signs up for the newsletter gets that download. And uh, um, it includes a piece that might be kind of surprising or maybe not depending on where you sit on the fluoride fence, but fluoride specifically inhibits the production of melatonin. Wow. It interferes with the process. And so, yeah. I, I mean, to me, it's just like unquestionable that pregnant women should be contraindicated from using any kind of fluoridated products.
1: It does absolutely. not make
0: any sense to make to disrupt the melatonin process it, during pregnancy um when we know how important melatonin is to that process. So that's one of the um things, and I link to the research um, there in that document because it it's just so important that melatonin is made um, and healthy no, right yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Wow. so. For this, you know, like hypothetical pregnancy birth that we're going through, let's say that it's all going really well and that the circadian rhythm is super healthy and that the melatonin is really well and labor onset in the night. So some births happen really quickly. Um, My last birth, (laughs) I kind of uh, labored through the day. And then when labor, like, earnestly hit, I lay down. I'm like, I'm going to have a little nap and see if I can get some rest, right? Because I had been walking and talking. I'd had this wonderful, like, walking labor all day. I had gone swimming at the river. Um, (laughs) My midwife had come over and she, like, we were chatting and stuff. And she lives really nearby. So she's like, you know, I think this is, you know, maybe it'll pick up in a while. But I'm going to go home and have some dinner. I said, okay, great. I'm going to take a nap. So I go to lay down. And I, I can literally count. It was 20 contractions until I oh was my holding. Gosh. my baby and the placenta. Oh, my was gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so it can happen like really quick. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and, oh, my goodness. You know, like and I've had, you know, my my second son, like that was a 49 hour endeavor. And that <sighs> one I was in a hospital. Under gosh. all the lights, feeling oh. freaked out about all the equipment and all the monitoring. And- yeah, for sure. <laughs> oh, all of my that. Gosh. So, you know, I've really had the the spectrum and can really say, like, wow, you know, the labor where I walked around barefoot outside and went swimming grounded in the river. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was definitely like a much quicker, smoother (laughs) experience. (laughs) Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, 49 Mm -hmm. hours. Oh, my gosh. That sounds. uh... (laughs) Yeah, and it was such a surprise because my first had been a home birth. And so with my other home birth, it was kind of the same pattern as with this last one that I described with the 20 contractions, my fourth Um, with my first I same thing. I woke up in labor in the morning and then I just kind of walked around and I like to talk about um, like the walking daytime labor because in a lot of the like, when we talk about labor, a lot of the conventional wisdom is about safety. And so we're literally looking, like if you look at like the pyramid of human needs, we're really at a kind of like basic level of like, let's just have a healthy mom and a healthy baby And we're not looking towards the greater social needs or spiritual needs and like the transcendental experiences that women can have in labor
1: are hardly discussed
0: at all in the mainstream. And then they're, you know, they're really highly emphasized in like the alternative birth community. And one of the ways that the transcendental experiences can happen, we um, think this is some kind of like, you know, edgy research um, that came out of uh, Hawaii, one of the universities over there. Um, but they were looking at serotonin, um, because they, well, first they tried looking at DMT and they're like, is DMT causing these experiences? No DMT doesn't seem to really be affected by the labor process. Well, what is serotonin? So serotonin is, um, something that does get flooded in, uh, in labor when they and the moms have those like out of body like psychedelic really powerful experiences that are definitely could be considered spiritual. So, wow. Serotonin is, you know, triggered by it's created in the gut, but it is also one of those circadian things that is really stimulated by being outside in the sunshine. Yeah. So, getting women outside and being in like outdoor spaces are the number one missing feature of most birth centers. Birth, right. hospital birth right. centers and even a lot of freestanding birth centers don't have a good private safe space for women to be able to go outside during their labors um which could potentially help them reach those like more transcendental spaces where they are really in the flow of bringing their babies forth smoothly right wow yeah and, that's, and then of course yeah. yeah Well, you
1: just hope that 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 the that research. And I hate that we have to have research for, you know, something that I guess should come very naturally and to kind of know that I want to be outside or I want to have this experience and uh, and taking the fear out of it. So hopefully we continue along that track of letting, you know, women really explore that Mm -hmm. for themselves. So for sure.
0: And then you're savvy with quantum biology. So you probably know that serotonin is the precursor to what have we been talking about? <laughs> yep. Uh huh. <laughs> it's a melatonin. <laughs> melatonin. Yep. <laughs> as, yeah. as
1: you were talking about serotonin, I was like, okay, Nicole, you know where this goes, right? <laughs> <So> <laughs>
0: yeah. Make your rooms dark at night, people, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but also get outside during the day that's, yes. um, that's why I call my publication brighter days darker nights because that's you know such yeah. a quick thing and so if I had more space I would say warmer brighter days cooler darker nights yes. but that really gets to be a mouthful. <laughs> what was that site again I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah okay so we have the serotonin to convert to melatonin, huge spike facilitates the birth of the baby with these nice strong contractions that actually feel less painful, even though they're stronger than, um, they could be with, if we didn't have this powerful circadian rhythm, um, the birth. And then of course we need strong contractions after the birth to like prevent hemorrhage and, um, and then when the placenta is burst, um, that is a major extra source of melatonin that the mother has been receiving during her pregnancy. So af- in postpartum, there is a, a drop back to normal levels of melatonin, which can kind of be a challenge, especially if a, a woman isn't savvy about keeping her night lighting low because her baby is going to need to be up all throughout the night. Right. so if there's this huge drop in melatonin i mean we always talk about like the drops in other hormones right right after pregnancy yeah. and they and they think like oh this the change in hormones is what causes the postpartum mood disorders well i'm saying if we look at melatonin the drop in melatonin and then if melatonin is regulated by light if the woman doesn't know about the light environment and she's flipping on lights every time she needs to change her baby's diaper or give them a feed um then that melatonin can drive down to really low levels, and then um, that can be related to postpartum mood disorders. Melatonin is, you know, highly implicated in the mood disorders. Circadian disruption is a factor in every single mental disorder that exists. Um, right, sleep disruption is one of the diagnostic factors. So, if you don't have sleep disruption and and you're sleeping well, then you actually are. You know, that's like the most protective thing you can do against mental disorders. And that's physiological sleep, uh, which is not eight hours of unconsolidated sleep a day or a night. Right. Um, When women especially have the ability to be polyphasic. And so in that newborn period, you want to spend a lot longer time in bed because you're going it's going to take longer to get through all of the sleep interruptions. But you still can get your full sleep window. So I was tracking my sleep during this last um, 12 hours to get my full amount of sleep that I needed. Um, Ow. I was using a sleep tracker. So I would spend 12 hours in bed to get, you know, eight and a half hours yeah. of actual okay. sleep. Yeah. And so that was keeping my scores, my sleep scores high. I was using, um, Oura Ring for that because okay. you had it on airplane mode and airplane then you mode, just think, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sync your data and then, um, put it back in airplane mode. So that was really interesting to watch. And I would see that I would need that, that amount of sleep, which felt very indulgent, but kind of I having the, the numbers there, like made me say, okay, no, this is, this is actually what I need. And so I think that's where a lot of women run into challenge in the postpartum period. You know, here we are now in the fourth trimester where they're thinking, okay, I was in bed for eight hours, but I still feel like crap. Um, Cause I was up all night, but If you think, oh, well, maybe try spending 12 hours in bed and see how you feel. You know, that's something that culturally we need to facilitate more because if a mom is expected to be back at work on a 40-hour schedule and then she's caring for an infant through the night, there's not enough time in the day for her to get the rest that she needs. And so then you have sleep disruption. As soon as you have sleep disruption, then you're opening the doors for mental disorders.
1: That's a vicious cycle. That's for sure. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm thinking to myself, you know, when my first three were born and I was trying to, you know, you get like six weeks for some eight weeks for some maybe 10 maybe 12 and Mm -hmm. then you know it's like how do I sleep and then how do I get back to work and then I have these other kids to care for it's like it's a it's a it's a challenge that's for sure so Mm -hmm. I I mean I guess if if there were any advice it would be that that darkness at night for sure yeah or Mm -hmm. try you know
0: yeah wow Yep. And then the other pieces that were the early morning sunlight, because yeah. I think a lot of women end up being sunlight deficient during this period. Like we're told that we need to protect our babies from the sun. <laughs> right. They don't have any, they don't have any right. melanin yet. Their solar callus hasn't developed. And so, right. um, yeah, I don't think babies, we were right. Yeah. Babies Good. don't produce melanin, melatonin. I remember that from the first, first episode. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that means that they are more dependent on the brightness of day um, than the darkness of night. So like having a baby and putting it in a dark room doesn't make it like suddenly have melatonin and start getting sleepy the way that it does for us. Like for us, if we're in the dim environment, we do get slower. And same thing for the older kids. So it kicks in like right. around six weeks okay, um, where they start, but their circadian rhythm isn't fully developed till like two to three years of age. So this postpartum idea of it being, like you said, like 12 weeks being a long postpartum, like how about three years being a isn't long postpartum? Um, Think
1: how it would change. Think how yeah. everything would change if we actually did that. Yeah, that's really something.
0: Yeah, Ooh. it is. So that, yeah, and then those early years are also really important for oxytocin development. And so that, like, snuggling, that skin to skin, like that. And if a baby does have like NICU experiences or like challenges, that skin to skin content contact will help um, protect their oxytocin development and reduce their pain. Um, but some people like when people have really adverse early childhood experiences, it can um inhibit their body from producing oxytocin receptors. And so a lot of people that later on in life have asocial behaviors, they are have dysregulated oxytocin. And so when we first figured this out, we we're like, oh great, let's just bump up their oxytocin. But it turned out they didn't have the receptors for it because of these early life experiences. Nice. And so yeah. it doesn't matter how much oxytocin you put into them, they're not going to have that positive social feeling from the oxytocin oh until through like massage and walking. I, okay. DHA, magnesium, vitamin D, the high protein diet, all of these quantum health things that will fix redox because redox is what allows the body to take itself apart and put it back together. And put it, right.
1: Yeah, that's right. a great way to put redox. Absolutely. Yeah, that's incredible. I did not know that. Like, I do think of, I think about that, and like the kids, the poor babies.
0: I know. <laughs> I <do. laughs> yeah, that's, that's really what I'm. I'm doing here is <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, love. That's awesome. That's
1: <laughs> it, it. It is, and it's like you think, like if they don't have the receptors for that, like you can't just like like keep pumping them full of stuff. You know, like it's yeah. it, it takes like it's the return to nature, to human touch, to that. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if we were to step back a little bit into the labor process and think about how that's an oxytocin mediated process. Right. And then if women are then ha- like have dysregulated oxytocin from their early life experiences and they haven't like resolved that before. And then the medical answer is to use pitocin, which is a synthetic form of oxytocin that does not cross the blood-brain barrier. So yes, it will force that uterus to contract, but it's not going to give that feeling of love, safety, security that we get from the endogenous systems of oxytocin. And then that goes on to, um, you know, influence a mother and father's ability to bond with their baby and have good parenting behaviors is regulated by the oxytocin system. So... That's where the circadian healing uh, direct emotional and social benefits. And like I talked about in the beginning, that the scope of quantum biology moves from the proton and the electron all the way up to the community development, because, you know, oxytocin is something that we get from social behaviors, from, you know, hugging and connecting. And so we don't even have to look at quantum entanglement to look at we have hormonal responses to each other that are measurable.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's profound for sure. Just yeah. to, and, and it's kind of, it's a, a great way that I think you really come full circle with that. And, and back to the beginning of that, the social needs in the, the, the hormonal production that really starts with the sun. So yeah. mm-hmm. great explanations. So I think this is a good place to wrap up. Do you have any closing mm-hmm. thoughts? And then I want to make sure that you um, tell everyone your socials all of those oh, sure. ways we can find you.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. Closing thoughts. Gosh, it was a really, really big journey. The, and I think that's appropriate because having, you know, bringing life into this world is a really big journey and that it's really just best for the entire family to be working, um, on this way. And, absolutely. uh, yeah. you know, if we, if you have the ability to practice before, um, you know, to, to change your lifestyle before, then that's ideal. But even if you're already like past it to jump in, because the something I, I often say about quantum biology and like the quantum biology uh, and, you know, we don't prescribe. But if we're talking about the lifestyle, it's like we can look at all these different conditions and things and they all wrap around to the same prescription of sunshine, darkness yep. and grounding um, or earthing. Right. For sure. And that, yeah. and that can, you know, that can benefit things at any stage of the life. So um, if you are listening to this and you're like, oh, like I messed that up or I'm too late. Like, no, you're not too late. You found this now. And so now is, you know, this is your sign um, to start exploring this way. Um, you yeah, know, like literally dementia late. gets yeah. improved by doing this. So it's right. like there's right. no like, there's no way that you're too late.
1: Right. And and if you look at it, even from like, uh, you know, our perspective, it's like, okay, so I didn't know this with my children, but now I know it for my children's children. Right. I know it for mm-hmm. my grandchildren. So it's just that it's that continual, like pay it forward type thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, for yeah. sure. Okay. Um, and then so you where can, can we find me, you?
0: Yeah, you can find me. Um, I'm uh, nights on Instagram. Um, my website is Com. Um, you can also find me at NicoKennedy.com. Um, I'm a doula. And so I work in person with people here in Oregon, but I also uh, offer virtual doula consults. Um, so people can, you know, if they just want to Q&A with me and and kind of make their own birth planning uh, process there, you you know, kind of how to work these, proce- these concepts into their birth plan. Um, then I love that. And then I also just started a new community that is the circadian and quantum birth community and that is where i'm uh, teaching lessons every other week and uh, doing live calls and mentorship for people um, birth workers or other wellness providers who kind of serve the perinatal period if they want to learn this information inside and out and get support with learning how to teach that to their communities then that would be the program for them and I'm really excited about launching it. it's It's super new, but we're having a great time. We have the first lesson out. and um, we'll be going on and on with that because I think that all all people who are serving this this period need to learn this environmental piece and be able to work it in, whether they're doing like nutrition or lactation or um, you know, doula work, midwifery, and then, Um, Also with like the circadian disruption of serving this period, you know, doulas and midwives and OBs face a huge amount of circadian disruption, which influences the high rates of burnout in this field. So I also want to offer people support around that and how to, you know, fix their light environments and schedules. And like, what can you do? Like if you have been, you know, up for three days helping a mom with through a difficult birth, like how do you regenerate yourself after that? experience. Um, so yeah, that's what I'm up to. And that's how you can find me. (laughs) Well,
1: awesome job. I mean, you are really helping to connect lots of dots for people and, uh, you know, it, it's, it's for the next, it's for the next generation of of children, you know, like, so great job. You should be very proud of yourself. So keep up the good work. (laughs) Yes. No, I think this (laughs) is just wonderful birth and pregnancy. It's just such a Such a beautiful time. So
0: (laughs) it is. It really is. Yep, I love it, and it's it's so, so uh, such an honor to be able to serve and and offer some little piece of, you know, information and pieces that that can be put together. Um, and I love the work that you're doing too with families because, like I said, it's really like the best advice is just to get the whole family on board because everyone's working together. Like the family's working as a a whole circuit. It's a unit. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, it spreads out from there. So.
1: It, it sure does. Really Absolutely. So, well, thank you again. And as we end our yep. shows, just go outside. All right.